Hey everyone, it's Christine. I wanted to just let you know a couple of things really quick before we dive into today's episode. First off, thank you for being here as always. I am so happy to have you back if you've listened before or if you're brand new, welcome. So today we're going to be talking about some really, really important um an important topic when it comes to your hormones that you may not realize is an important topic, but it is all about eating and empowered eating and how the reality that so many of us have disordered eating within our past or maybe our present and how that can impact your hormones. So it's a really fabulous episode. Excited for you to listen. Before we dive in, I did want to let you know that I have an upcoming program that I'm super excited about. And I crafted this program because I realized how many things I see, honestly, like on Facebook and on Instagram of women speaking to something in their menstrual cycle and them not understanding or knowing why that is or having a misinterpretation or misrepresentation of why something is. And I get it because I didn't know crap about my menstrual cycle until about, I guess, about six years ago now. And that's really unfortunate. We should really understand our menstrual cycle because it really empowers us to make much better decisions around our health than when we don't know what's going on, right? It's hard to make a decision if you don't understand what's happening. So that's why I decided to put together this intro to hormones course, right? I have my hormone breakthrough blueprint, which is a fabulous course. I'm having so much fun with the women in there right now, and they're learning so much, but it is a more advanced course, right? So it is a good idea to have some basic understanding before you dive deeper into all of the intricacies. So that's why I put together this course and it starts on March 6th. It's a four week intro course and you're going to get sent videos every Monday that are going to take you through the steps of understanding your cycle, what's happening at different points in your cycle, what is the five keys and basics of what you need to do in order to make your cycle work better. You're going to learn about your adrenals, how they impact your hormones and why making yourself number one is so important when it comes to your adrenal health. And then finally, you're going to learn about hormone testing. So I think that this is a really important area, that last one, because it is important to test your hormones. And honestly, the earlier that you test, like late 20s, early 30s, and understand your baseline, then the better off you're going to be as you age and continue to test because you're going to know where things are off. But the thing is, if you go to your doctor, A, and say you want to test hormones, it's going to be a fight often, especially if you're younger. But B, you get these hormone tests back and everything's quote unquote in range, right? The range is huge. It is not useful. And so we want you to know what the optimal ranges are. And that's exactly what I teach in week four. We're also going to get loads of bonuses, things that you can print out to help remind yourself, maybe make yourself a little menstrual cycle um, book. And it's just, it's going to be a lot of fun. And we're also going to have a live component because I think that's super important. And that will be on Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where I will answer all your questions from that week and beyond. Got a 45-minute session. If you can't make those sessions, then you can always send in your questions beforehand. It will be recorded, and it will be uploaded to the place that sends out all of the information weekly to you. So 
no big deal if you can't make that time. We will still be in communication throughout. So if you're interested, you can go to my website, christinegarvin.com, and learn more about it there. And just for you, actually just for the first, let's see, five people that sign up today, you can get $50 off with code hormones 101 at checkout. So that's just going to be the first five people today. So hop on it if you're ready to learn about your hormones. I can't wait to see you in this program. It's going to be awesome. All right. For now, let's go ahead and dive into today's episode. I'll talk to you soon. Hey there, and welcome to Hormonally Speaking. I'm your host, Christine Garvin, a functional health coach. Each week, I speak with an incredible guest expert on all things women's hormones. We're here to empower you to take back control of your body, health, and well-being, and to learn about the latest in research and solutions when it comes to getting your hormones happy. No part of this podcast should be construed as medical advice, and we always recommend working with a professional practitioner to figure out what's best for your body. Now let's dive in with today's guest. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Hormonally Speaking. This week, we're going to dive into um, a more serious topic that I think is, I mean, not that we don't talk serious topics on here all the time, but I think that is a really important part of not only our hormonal health, but our health overall, particularly, you know, if you were born, you know, and live in this world as a woman. Um, so many of us have been impacted by how we should eat, um, what we think we should eat in order to have a particular body type, right? Because of the cultural um, uh, just implications and the things that it puts on us in order to be a woman in this world. And how many of us that really has affected in such a a negative way and also impacted our hormones and all kinds of other parts of our health. And um, particularly, you know, obviously um, you can be any age and deal with a de- in eating disorder, but I know a lot of, um, you know, my friends are concerned raising daughters into a world that still has a lot of the pressures that were on us. Um, when we were younger, it shifted some, but there's still a lot there and they're insidious. So I think this conversation is like super, super important to have. And I'm excited to talk to my guest, Sarah Spears, who's an emotional eating coach, energy worker, and trained psychotherapist. Her mission is to empower souls to do the inner work to uncover and improve the root mental, emotional, and energetic factors affecting health and happiness. Over the course of 10 years, she has worked with thousands of people to help them strengthen their mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual bodies. She offers a unique approach to coaching and energy work, fusing traditional and alternative modalities to help process emotional wounds, reprogram the subconscious, rebalance the body's energy systems, and creating lasting change with regards to how one thinks, feels, and behaves. Sarah, welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here and have this conversation with you. Yeah, so so important as I was just kind of droning on and on about at the beginning here. Um, and, you know, I think there's sort of layers to what we maybe call uh, disordered eating, right? So I think uh, I can identify with maybe the disordered eating 
way uh, umbrella maybe a little bit more because I never had like a flat out eating disorder, right? What we've sort of traditionally classified as eating disorders, but disordered eating can kind of range this whole, you know, big spectrum of um, what a lot of women I think will fall on that spectrum at some point in their lives, you know, unfortunately. So let's talk a little bit about that and talk about what emotional eating is for those that don't quite understand it. Yeah, that was really well said about the spectrum because there are clinical diagnoses for eating disorders and most of the people i work with don't meet the diagnostic criteria Mm -hmm. for a a clinical eating disorder Mm -hmm. fortunately yeah but they're still struggling with their relationship with food and that can show up in different ways and so when we're looking at emotional eating you know that can sometimes be normalized in our culture where we see in tv shows oh it's that time of the month or mm-hmm. you're upset and get a pint of ice cream yeah. it's kind of this like joke that we all kid about but really it can actually be quite um shameful the pattern and something that can cause distress mm-hmm. and ultimately what we're seeing is that instead of feeling our feelings mm-hmm. a lot of us go ahead and feed our feelings. Mm -hmm. And if we engage in that pattern consistently enough over time, it becomes an automated habit, which means it's happening unconsciously or mindlessly. And that's where it feels really distressing because it's almost the sense of I have no control over this. And so what a lot of women find is that like the millisecond they're feeling stress or overwhelmed, or there's this urge to cry or get angry. It's like, because they've trained themselves to eat, the brain is just immediately signaling Mm -hmm. for them to find food. And you find yourself in the cabinets or in the fridge or suddenly the bag of potato chips, you know, you're only going to have a handful and the whole bag is gone. And it feels really, really overwhelming and frustrating because there's a sense of, I can't control myself around food. Mm-hmm. Right. And then that can spiral into, you know, feeling shame about yourself, feeling a sense of guilt about not having willpower or control. Yes. And then that also can perpetuate this mental obsession where it's like, okay, tomorrow I need to be good, or I'm never yep. going to eat this food again. And then we go into this mental like Olympics where we're driving ourselves crazy because we're trying to figure out how to eat better or eat good so that we don't continue to turn to food to self-soothe. And if you don't have the awareness and you don't have the tools as to why you're engaging in that pattern in the first place, oftentimes our strategies to stop emotional eating, which is I'm just not going to eat that food, (laughs) actually results in us probably overeating that food even more. Yeah. And so it's not an effective approach. And then we just dig ourselves in a deeper hole. Yeah, I think probably so many people that are re- uh, listening to this can relate to that. I love the way that you broke that down. It made me think about, you know, um, a time in my life. So I was vegan at the time. And, um, you know, I, I understood much later that my body chemistry that that doesn't did not work well for you know and and i'm sure we'll talk about some of the sort of physical aspects of you know the emotional eating but you know i can remember that i would um you know be good be good be good quote unquote good 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 eating the rice and then um i would just be like okay i want uh i'm gonna get like vegan cookies and like vegan ice cream and just start eating it, right? And just eat it and eat it and eat it. And it it's that same thing. It's like a weird thing, right? Because you're like, oh, this is quote unquote healthy food that I'm binging on, right? Essentially. But I that literal 
feeling of being out of control. And even as you're eating sometimes thinking tomorrow, like I might as well finish this off because then it won't be here tomorrow and I can start fresh. You know? Right. And I'm never, I'm never going to do this again. We're doing it again. Absolutely. And I always joke, yeah, somehow I'm just going to wake up tomorrow with like a new brain and new right. willpower and just no desire for these delicious foods. Right. That's just going to miraculously disappear. And right. it's, you know, and then that's where we get frustrated because then we do it again. Yes. And there's this feeling of, I can't trust myself. Right. Or, right. you know, if I say I'm going to do something, I can't seem to do it. Right. And we really get stuck in self-loathing or judging self, which yeah. is helpful. Well, and I think, too, we've been taught so often and it's reinforced that it's about willpower, right? And so that's where we can get into that. If I can just pull on my willpower and then when you don't pull, like pull on your willpower, then it's you being wrong and not strong enough on all these things. And it's so, you know, willpower is a very tiny bit of this like huge thing right that and willpower you know i mean it's just interesting when you look at the science of it you know we we have sort of when our um i like to say our coffers are full in the morning we quote unquote have more willpower because we're full right we have uh we've hopefully slept well we have um you know just before the the day has come in and sort of taken everything out of us then we are feel as if we're in control of eating and then it's by the end of the day when you've been zapped dry because you're you know you don't have anything left in the well and that's when you're just like in effort mode as as i call it you know and i think people can really get caught in that that spiral too or that just um way of being that I think is really tough because that becomes like a daily consistent thing. Can you speak Absolutely. to that a little bit? Yeah. The evening times are typically the most vulnerable time mm -hmm. for people. Mm -hmm. And it is because we have a, a limited amount of willpower that if that is spent throughout the day, resisting the urge to snap at a coworker and, you know, passing up the vending machine at work and, mm -hmm. you know, making all of these decisions throughout the day, by the time you get home, you've spent all of that energy and you don't have the capacity necessarily to make an intentional or empowered choice. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, the other word that I really focus on is regulation. And mm. what is your body's like baseline? And mm -hmm. if you woke up feeling really regulated and grounded, and then the day passes and there's this accumulation of stress, everybody's body has this window of tolerance. And eventually mm -hmm. when you pass that threshold and your body starts to become dysregulated, and you haven't taken a moment to pause or center or take a few breaths or de-stress the physiological body, right? Mm -hmm, the stress mm -hmm. of the body itself, mm -hmm. then you're, you've also crossed a threshold by the end of the day where your body is desperate to find a way to come back into its state of regulation. Right. And if you don't have other tools and processes to support yourself in finding that center again, yeah. you are even more likely to then reach for food to self-soothe because that tends to be a default choice that the brain will just naturally make because food does have, you know, the capacity to help us feel 100%. better in the moment. And yep. so that's a very real, real fast, fast, easy, yeah, it's, easy it, quote unquote way to do it. Yeah, exactly. Do it. Mm -hmm. But there's other ways yeah. that if you know you integrate throughout the day these micro moments where yeah. you're breathing moving meditating tapping you know the laundry list of these self-care practices then that quote unquote willpower your reserve is going to be more full mm -hmm. 
-hmm. at the end of the day. And you're Mm going to have the capacity to actually be able to make choices that feel aligned with what's truly going to help you in that moment to feel Mm -hmm. your best. Mm -hmm. And maybe that choice is to nourish yourself, but Mm -hmm. maybe it's to actually rest or go for a walk or talk Mm -hmm. to a friend, right? It's like you have more capacity to make those those intentional choices. choices. Yeah. And I'm so glad that we're talking about this particular you know, uh, area, because I, I try and always, you know, in working with clients, tell them, you know, breaks throughout the day are so supportive to your body. Right. And I think people get that, you know, on the sort of intellectual level, but they will skip over it, including myself, you know, when you get busy, right. You just don't recognize the importance of doing these things, consistently and how much a difference it can mean by taking five minutes. You know, I, my always recommendation if, if people can is around that 3 PM time, right. When we're sort of, most of us are naturally declining in energy anyway, and just take five minutes of breath work, meditation, EFT, any of these, you know, start there. But even thinking about you know, what we deal with on a daily basis in terms of stress these days, having just a few different moments throughout the day, how that can change everything, you know, and coming back to our hormones again and again, I talk about it all the time on the podcast, we need safety and security in our bodies in order for our hormones to work correctly. And this is, you're telling that, you know, it's you're exactly telling people, the same. Yeah. Yeah. It's you're exactly telling people what same. to do to help support that. Yeah. They go hand in hand because yeah. the safety and security in your body is also directly correlated with eating habits. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, we've built this attachment to a lot of foods where food is a source of comfort or food can be an object that symbolizes love and safety. Mm-hmm. So for example, you know, if growing up, your mom always used to bake you, you know, these muffins every day. And it's like you associate the muffins with mom's love and the safety of home. Mm -hmm. Then as an adult, like if your body doesn't feel safe and it's seeking safety Mm -hmm. and you're not giving it to yourself or there isn't, you know, a way that you can experience that in your nervous system, you know, we will often reach for food subconsciously to get a sense of, of comfort and safety. And that is a deeply embedded um, like patterning or pairing in the subconscious. A lot of the work I do with clients is working to actually uh, break the mm-hmm. emotional attachments we have to food so that the brain is no longer associating foods as being the source of love or safety or comfort. Because once we can break that association, it's a lot easier to make different choices to achieve safety or to Absolutely. feel a sense of, of love. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you think about it's such a common thing, right? When the a kid is screaming or, you know, even if they've done something good, it's like, oh, you get a cookie, you get ice cream. And it really sets that up for so many of us, right? I mean, I can think of sugar, sugary things as a child being such a just exciting part of life, right? You know, and and now, of course, we have those available sort of all of the time. Right. Um, so it, that compounds how, you know, how tough it can be sometimes. Yeah. And we're not looking to take away the excitement of those things. Right. But it's really about adding in mm-hmm. other ways that we get those needs met, especially the eno- emotional needs or the safety needs. Yeah. So it almost like crowds out food. Like right. for a lot of people I work with, like food is the only thing they can think of that they do for pleasure, that they do mm. for stress, to manage stress, that they have to help them through difficult times. It's like yeah. it becomes the crutch yeah. when it's the only option that we know. 
Right. Absolutely. So let's talk about some of the tools that you utilize with people and sort of, you know, also determining and figuring out what some of this stuff is connected to for them. Yeah, that process is really fun. I always feel like a little bit of a detective when we're looking at, you know, what are the underlying root causes? Mm -hmm. And that's where I use the five bodies of health model to help me and clients just navigate what's at play here, Mm -hmm. right? And so we've got the physical body, which is looking at just what are your habits in general of how you take care of the body. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you pointed to like the impact of the vegan diet on your eating habits. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people, there is this element of restriction or not actually getting enough calories or nutrition that fuels cravings. And that can then lead to this like growing binge pattern. We've got the mental body, which is what's going on in your mind and what's all the conditioning. So you've already pointed to like using food as a reward. Mm -hmm. I've got a very long list, right, of all the types of eating programming that we can experience growing up. Mm -hmm. Our childhood environment is really important in forming our relationship with food. And some people grew up in home environments that had really strict and rigid food rules Mm -hmm. where, you know, sugar wasn't allowed at all. Other people grew up in home environments where, well, my brothers could eat whatever they wanted, but as a female, like I wasn't allowed to, right? right? When they got put on a diet or other homes had this kind of free for all. It was like, we could eat whatever we wanted. And I was modeled emotional eating. So really getting curious about the eating programming and the Mm -hmm. home environment around Mm -hmm. food and the language around body is a super important area to explore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that with that knowledge and awareness, we can begin to, again, go into the subconscious. And I use emotional freedom technique as a way to just create corrective experiences and repattern mm-hmm. some of the memories or the messaging that we mm-hmm. received. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got the emotional body, which is how are we processing our emotions? And especially for women, we've got a ton of repressed emotions, a lot of repressed anger, a lot of repressed grief and fear, and just, you know, that builds up over your life. And so being able to understand when you reach for food, if it's to help you feel better, that there's likely something that doesn't feel good. And there's an opportunity for us to get curious and go into the body and let the body show us the emotional energy that's needing to be processed and released. And then the last two are the energy body and the soul body. So with energy, um, I'm really a huge advocate for energy hygiene and understanding you know, how to shield your energy, cleanse your energy, be aware of energy vampires, Mm -hmm. not take on and absorb other people's energy, Mm -hmm. which is so common for especially women caretakers. You know, Mm -hmm. we want to just take everyone's pain away, but the downside is we hold it in our bodies and that can be really dangerous. And a lot of times something you're doing outside of your conscious awareness. Yeah. So a lot of uh, clearing, I use emotion code as a process to help Mm. release absorbed energies. Mm -hmm. And then with the soul body, we're just looking at soul holes. So what are the um, the kind of the fundamental needs of the soul? Mm -hmm. I talk about soul hunger and there's this Mm -hmm. like uh, the need to be Uh, nourished with intimate connections and with true love and a sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. And if we aren't addressing the fundamental needs of the soul, then we often are trying to fill a void with food. And when we can identify that, there's an opportunity to actually take action in your life to, to meet the needs of the soul so that you're not just eating mindlessly all the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's so beautiful. And 
everything that you said, you know, fits in the same framework of what I do with clients around hormones, right? And it's such a good reminder that, I mean, it's all a holistic process. I, you know, I think that not not saying we completely have the physical obviously taken care of, you know, but we talk, there's a lot of talk around the physical aspects. There's more talk these days around the emotional aspects of things. Thank goodness. It's still probably not as um, accepted as it needs to be, but we're, we're getting better, but really talking about the energetic processes and the soul, you know, purpose. I mean, I think that that's so key too, right? Yeah. What, what feeds your soul? What, what is, um, not that you have to have a single big purpose in this life. I don't believe that, but what, what drives you, what fuels you and, um, and exactly thing that's so overlooked, right. You know, not talked about enough and in such a huge part of, I think of the, um, the sadness and anger in this world. Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And I see a lot of women and this was me as well, who mm-hmm. struggle with, some form of disordered eating on the spectrum and there's a parallel with struggling with hormones mm-hmm. you know when i mm-hmm. was at the peak of my my eating disorder i i didn't have a period for two years yeah. and you know it didn't even dawn on me that that was a problem because right. i was so steeped in the eating disorder that the impact on my physical body was lost on me mm-hmm. and then as i started my healing journey i realized Oh, this is not normal. Yeah. <laughs> My yeah, body's yeah. clearly not working the way it's supposed to. And I think I need to work on, you know, hormones yeah. and, and balancing yeah. my hormones. And that path of healing, my eating disorder went hand in hand then with healing, yeah. you know, my hormone imbalance. And so Absolutely. they are, you know, really interwoven. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit more about your eating disorder, you know, what type of eating disorder you had and um I guess the process that you took on, you know, Mm -hmm. in, in figuring that out and healing it yourself. So, yeah, mine, I mean, I kind of had this interesting spectrum of eating disorders and I had adult onset. So I was 25 Mm -hmm. when I first, yeah, which is a little bit more uncommon. Right. I was going to say it usually Uh sounds younger, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, but for me, I had an adult onset and it was this kind of perfect storm of, um, going on a diet for the first time in my life and moving to a new place. And I had um, sort of this traumatic experience where my car was stolen with all of my belongings. And so I was by myself in a new place without a job, without a car, without support, like all of these factors that caused me to start to binge. And over time that led to binging and purging. And so then I got really swept up into a pretty vicious cycle of bulimia which, you know, kind of consumed me for six months where it was living in a, even a denial that this was a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, you can get mm-hmm. so enmeshed in it. Mm-hmm. And then I had sort of this pivotal moment where I realized one day, like, oh, this is not healthy and normal. And, and I may actually die if I don't stop mm-hmm. this because mm-hmm. I could feel the impact on my body. Mm-hmm. And so I just made a vow and commitment that I was going to do whatever it took to heal myself so that I could help others because I never wanted anyone to suffer the way that I was. And that just caught, took me on this pretty 
broad journey where I was reading books, I was seeking therapy, I was trying all different alternative healing modalities. Mm -hmm. I eventually went back to school to become a therapist and was trained at an eating disorder center and so was working with you know, people who specialize in eating disorders. So I was really learning the ins and outs of it and be, you know, was able to benefit from that learning for myself, but also right. then for the work that I do. Right. Um, and that's why I integrate a lot of energy work into the work I do because I found um, processes like tapping, emotional freedom technique and Reiki and emotion code, like all of these beautiful modalities that I stumbled upon were all key components to my own healing because it was really helping me access a lot of the unprocessed emotional pain mm -hmm. and trauma that I had been carrying that I didn't even know mm -hmm. was there. Mm -hmm. and, yep. and for anybody who does struggle with binging or purging, while the binge is a way to try to suppress or numb or feel better, the purge is a way to try and get out of your body mm. an energy or a feeling that like is uncomfortable. Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And yeah. so when that unconscious um, energy and trauma is present and we aren't aware and able to process it in healthy ways, what I was doing was reverting to binging and purging. And, you know, with that awareness, I realized, oh, this is why the inner work is such a key component to healing. Because right. without it, you're just dealing, you know, a lot of treatment will focus on just food and right. eating. Right. Food and eating. Right. And that's an important piece. But that is really the symptom of the deeper layers. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I would say over the course of five years, you know, I started yeah. to just gradually um, chip away at the inner work and, and do a lot of deep healing. And then eventually, you know, reached a place where over time the symptoms started to subside. And then there's just a period in time where you realize, oh my gosh, <laughs> like, I don't, I can't remember the last time I had an episode, you know, and then that just becomes the new norm, which is yeah. like, it, it no longer exists. And yeah, so that's amazing. Yeah. In. Well, you know, thank you for sharing the trajectory yeah. too for you. So uh, we've talked a, a decent amount about EFT on the podcast, but I'll just, you know, say once again, for those that don't uh, know what it is, you know, that stands for emotional freedom technique. And most people, I think a lot of people have heard of it as tapping, right? right? So it's this like you tap in these different spots. And I always, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I like to think of it as um, somewhat similar to acupuncture in terms of um, certainly regulating the nervous system, you know, uh, opening up energy pathways where things may have gotten blocked and allowing, you know, the processing of stuck emotions, things like that. Um, can you speak to body code? Because I'm not sure that everybody's aware of that. Sure. Yeah. The body code emotion code is a process developed by Bradley Nelson, which he was a chiropractor. Um, and essentially it revolves around using muscle testing or energy testing. So the theory is if something is true for the body, the body will have a strength present. Mm -hmm. And if something is untrue or potentially harmful for the body, the muscles become weaker. Mm -hmm. And so we can use this process called muscle testing mm -hmm. to ask the body questions, mm -hmm. to get information about what it might be holding. Mm -hmm. So for example, we could ask the body, do you have any trapped emotions? or absorbed emotions contributing to your hormone imbalance mm -hmm. or contributing to your binging. And 
based on the strength of the the muscles when we Mm -hmm. do muscle testing we'll get a yes no and there's this whole map and chart where we can then identify what are the specific emotions is this fear is it sadness is it grief is it overwhelm and we can even ask the body when did you experience this emotion we could get Mm -hmm. information such as you know this is when you were a child right? Is this, you know, and we can start to paint a picture Mm -hmm. of what the body is actually holding energetically and emotionally and its impact on the physiological symptoms or the mental symptoms that you're experiencing. And then this process uses a magnet to just neutralize essentially or clear those energies from the body. So the same way that a magnet would deactivate a credit card, for example, mm-hmm. um, it, it works similarly where it just creates a, an opposing frequency or wavelength that would just gently mm-hmm. neutralize or clear whatever energies we uncover. Mm-hmm. And so it's this really neat way to communicate with the body. And it's a very non-invasive, gentle right. technique to just uncover what we would maybe not be able to discover otherwise you know it's like i could talk to you but you're not gonna be able to tell me if you've inherited energies or absorbed energies like you might be aware of your own oh yeah i'm stressed about something right but it's hard to sometimes uncover things that don't belong to us that we've taken on so that's why i really love using that tool that's i love it too and i haven't you i haven't done a lot with it but have used other systems that are similar and I'm just learning, you know, more specific around, um, body code. But I, I also like to tell people that are, you know, maybe a little bit, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the word. They're just skeptical. Not sure. Yeah. Skeptical. <laughs> That's good. That's it. You know, I was like, they're not sure about the whole energy frequencies thing, you know? And, um, one of the things that I kind of point to is, if you look at a lot of the um, tools that are used, even in Western medicine now, they're actually essentially measuring, you know, energy frequencies, electromagnetic things like, um, you know, some of the heart uh, um, machines, if you go in and, you know, and for them to see if you have a blockage in the heart and all these kinds of things, echo machines and that sort of thing. It's essentially... They're measuring energy frequencies when it comes down to it, right? Yes. And so, and more and more, we're seeing that more and more, and we're seeing that in biofeedback machines and all of that now. So it's just a reminder that along with the physical and emotional body, we have this energetic body that we know definitely exists, you know? Um, And going back to the acupuncture thing, that's something that Chinese medicine has been aware of for a very, very long time. If you've known anything about Ayurveda, same thing, right? It's these energy bodies and we're kind of just catching up, I'd say, in Western medicine with those long held um, ideas and beliefs. And, right. and kind of proving them with these machines. In exactly. A way yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it's helpful to keep an open mind, but like you're pointing to, I mean, science, you could talk to any scientist who's going to say, Absolutely. The body is an energy body, you know, Mm -hmm. at at the fundamental level inside a cell, you've got these protons and, you know, energy molecules that are moving around, which is what gives our cells the energy for us Mm -hmm. to function. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything is made of energy and we're just learning how to work with the energy of the body in new ways, which is really exciting. 
It is. It is. And I hope we'll have more and more tangible evidence that can support what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that there are these different modalities that are happening, you know, that, that therapists can utilize with their clients and, and sort of these body therapies that, you know, I think talk therapy is fantastic and it's sort of level one in a lot of ways, right? It's like Mm -hmm. to get to these things that are stored in the body, we need these other kind of forms um, of working with it. And um, yeah, I just, I I think it's such a beautiful thing when we're thinking in the context of emotional eating, of disordered eating, where we've sort of, um, we've lost the connection to the body. We've lost the connection to our energetic selves too. And so you're really um, developing a different and new relationship. That's really it. It really is. It's the path to healing is not fixing my eating habits and fixing right food. It's, it's about a return back to yourself and rediscovering and reconnecting with your body and like Mm -hmm. really learning how to love and take care of yourself in this vessel Mm -hmm. from a place of not from a place of like, I have to change this to feel worthy and deserving, but from a place of realizing like, wow, <laughs> like who, what this I am is. Worthy this, and deserving. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, this like incredible body and, and this incredible soul that I have in this body, like these things yeah. are worth loving and taking care of. Yeah. And so, you know, that's ultimately what this, this work is about is the return to self-love. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And mm-hmm. because there's there's a lot of talk about self-love these days, but I don't think a lot of people really understand what that means. Mm-hmm. And again, we go back to, I want to focus on the problem, which yeah. in this instance is the fact that I am eating these foods that I quote unquote shouldn't be eating or overindulging or what have you, right? And that's that focus so often goes back to that again and again. And it's like, that's not, focusing on that is not going to get you. Right, right has the problem or healing, you know, you're absolutely right. I had a client recently who, you know, she, she said, I think I'm starting to love myself, Mm. which was like music to my ears. I was like, this is why I do this work. (laughs) But she, she never realized, I never realized like how to do that. It was like, it's so ingrained in our culture to like, not like yourself or to be unsatisfied with who you are that like, the concept of loving self was, was foreign. Right. And so sometimes when we say, Oh, just, it's just about loving yourself for a lot of people, that is a mystery. What does that mean? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's just words and fluff and the actual experience of doing that. Like you do sometimes need someone who can guide you into doing that. And the way that we learn how to love ourselves is by someone mirroring it to us. Right. Right. And so for anybody who has a child that you love and you would do anything for that child, it's like, that's the energy that you're wanting to recycle towards yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I even recently thought, you know, when I'm in partnership, I put all this energy into making really nutritious meals because I like love these people and I want them Mm -hmm. to be healthy. And then when I'm by myself, I'm like, oh, I'll just eat a protein bar. Mm-hmm, I realized mm-hmm. there was this disconnect. Like, wow, why don't I, why am I not loving myself in the mm-hmm. same way with mm-hmm. nourishing myself the way I would mm-hmm. nourish another person I love? And so there's little like um, ways that we can see examples of how we love others. And mm-hmm. if we're not doing the same thing for ourselves, there's an opportunity to like grow there. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Can we talk about boundaries and how that sure. plays into all of this? <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> what what I, are you thinking? <laughs> I was like, I'm just drop the bomb. Uh, you know, I, I I just I 
I bring up boundaries again and again on the podcast and with my clients because I know for personal experience and how I continue to have to work on boundaries consistently, right, in order to um, have my body feel safe and secure. Um, and I also think that, you know, there's probably that words being thrown around a lot lately, but not everybody knows what that really looks like either. It's not just saying no, right. It's all Mm -hmm. of these other things too. So yeah. How does that show up in your practice? In so many ways. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's sort of two, there's different types of boundaries, but the two that I'll speak to are what I call body boundaries. Mm -hmm. And there's like your time energy boundaries. Mm -hmm. And so for a lot of women, we see that there's this tendency to be people pleasers and overgivers mm-hmm. and perfectionists. And it's like, I will, you know, disregard my needs mm-hmm. and what my body's telling me it has the capacity to do mm-hmm. to say yes, to support other people, to take on their responsibilities. I'll do it for them to make sure mm-hmm. it gets done. Mm-hmm. Right. And so mm-hmm. that is like <clears throat> overriding your boundary of time and energy yeah. because then you're left with nothing for yourself and the body is run down and you're exhausted and maybe resentful because your cup is not full. Right. And so there's a need to, first of all, get comfortable saying no to the things that you don't have the capacity for or that aren't your responsibility in the first mm-hmm. place. And that can be really hard, mm-hmm. um, especially for mothers to be right. able to like give and be able to trust that this person will figure it out or learn how to do it. And they may stumble as they go and I'm yeah. here, but I don't do it for them. Right. right? I, I guide and assist like the coach watching a soccer game versus being a player in the game. Right. Right. And then we've got the body boundaries, which is how do I let other people engage with my physical body? Mm-hmm. And this can be a really big one, um, especially mm-hmm. with disordered eating, because for a lot of women, we've had experiences where people have looked at our body, commented about our body, touched our body, engaged in our body in ways that made us very uncomfortable, mm-hmm. that felt like a body violation. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes we go into a, fee- a freeze response. Right. There's an automatic fear response. And so our throat chakra shuts down. We don't say no. And this person essentially gets away with right. doing something that inflicted a sense of not feeling safe. And over time, what happens is we start to protect the body with eating, right? Mm-hmm. We like stuff down the discomfort with food and or to subconsciously put on a weight barrier to protect us from unwanted attention. And so if we're not asserting healthy boundaries, the body is going to create a boundary. Right. Right. Through weight and through eating habits to perpetuate a sense of safety. And so this is why coming back into the body and reconnecting to the body is so important because your body is going to tell you if something is like you need to know how to listen to the signals yes. from your body. Is this safe or not safe? Yeah. Am I comfortable with this? Am I not comfortable with this? Mm-hmm. And then can I communicate, hey, you know what? I'm actually not comfortable with you putting your hand there. Yeah. Yeah. Do you mind just like removing it and having the courage to be able to, to express it. what yeah. we need so that our body, which is ours, right, gets to feel safe and protected and honored and respected. And other people aren't going to treat us that way until we're aware within ourselves. A hundred percent, you know, and, and we're so often not taught this at all, right? Mm-hmm. We're we're taught to keep quiet. We're taught to just kind of go with the flow. Um, and so, so many of us are disconnected from how our body even is reacting. Right. And so yeah. that first step I'm sure is just reconnecting to how does this make me feel? And then you can speak from that place. Right. Um, so and yeah. so many of us have rationalized in our mind 
and I did this, I had to do a lot of work on this. They're like, oh no, it's fine. It's okay. Right. right. Or the we even convince ourselves that we like it. Oh, I like the attention. Mm-hmm. But right. really your body is like, I don't, I do mm-hmm. not, I'm not comfortable with this. Mm-hmm. Like nothing about this feels okay. And we've overridden the body signals with our mind. Yeah. And we do that with boundaries and we do that with eating, right? Mm-hmm. It's like your body's telling you, hey, I need, I need like protein or I need yeah. Like this food and our mind is like, oh, no, I can't have that. That's that's bad. Mm-hmm. No, I can't eat that. That's not on the plan. Mm-hmm. And so we have this almost internal battle between like the body's right. very clear signals and right. then our minds and what we're choosing to think or believe according right. to, you know, the societal programming or conditioning. Yeah. Ugh, it's such a like well of <laughs> so so much stuff right the, the, so let's talk about how you work with people do you work with them one-on-one face-to-face or do you do programs What's a little your... bit of everything okay I have um one-on-one work that I do with mm-hmm. clients typically for four to six months but once I start working with people we tend to stay together for you start doing this work you realize there's a lot there as I'm there's sure a lot this conversation yep. reveals so yep. you know I would say on average, it's for a year or two yeah. that I tend to go on this journey with women. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I do have group programs. So I'll be mm-hmm. starting again in April, the next round of the group program, which mm-hmm. I actually love because there's an element to our relationship with food and eating, especially with disordered eating tendencies, that's secret. Yeah. Like a lot of women have shame and, and they keep it secret and they think yeah. they're the only person. Yeah. And yeah. I've mm-hmm. seen some miracles happen when women come together for the first time in their life mm-hmm. and they start to actually like have this confession and it's like air all your dirty secrets and realize like, oh, I'm actually not weird. Right. This is kind of normal. I'm not alone. And not here are women who get it. Mm-hmm. And so we we heal when we come together and we shed the shame mm-hmm. through sharing our stories. And mm-hmm. and there's medicine in being seen and being 100%. validated and being yeah. held. And I'm really a proponent for co-regulation because mm. when we're using food to soothe, that's a form of self-regulation. It's right. how am I helping myself feel better, but that's not effective. And really the gold standard of of soothing is with another human being right. through their nervous right. system, through their compassion, through their care. And so in the group space, we have this, this opportunity that you don't always get with one-on-one to have right. um, the co-regulation that happens in a group field of like-hearted beings who understand and who care. Yeah. And then you're no longer walking the path alone. And that's um, just really beautiful. It is beautiful. It's, yeah. yeah. To create that space. Yeah. I think it's so needed. Um, in this this day and age too so i have to ask are you able to do things like body code in your group setting too yes so do you teach people how to um to to um self muscle test or do you do distance muscle testing or yeah I'll, I'll do distance okay yeah distance. Well, can, can i ask what form of distance muscle testing you do I'm always I, curious about these. Yeah. yeah. Well, so I personally actually um, use a pendulum. Okay. A pendulum. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. That yeah. that I find is the easiest. And yeah. for me, I have the, the least amount of bias mm-hmm. and human that error that comes mm-hmm. in when mm-hmm. I do that. I also nice. have a another emotion code practitioner on my staff and, and she uses um, finger, the finger, finger. test. Mm-hmm. See, I've always been horrible at the finger, like anything on yourself. I just, it's I, I'm weary of it as well. Yeah. yeah I, I yeah. can do it a little bit, yeah. but after a little bit there, you're, like your body gets tired and yeah. your mind jumps mm-hmm. in. And I just question mm-hmm. if it's like, 
is was that strong was that right. soft right so with with the pendulum it's it's much clearer yeah way clearer yeah 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 yeah, yeah. that's that's cool yeah because I utilize it um you know often with clients just around if we're trying to figure out which supplement's going to be best mm-hmm. for them and how much they should take and things like that so I was yeah curious if yeah I I don't yet teach people in the group how to do that although mm-hmm. this conversation is making me realize why not like, I probably should <laughs> but um you know, we can do collective healings and with energy, it's one of those things where there's no real distance or time and space. And so, you know, I think we can connect right here via zoom and I can also connect to your energy body. um, Right. That's that's another good reminder for people when they're like, I don't understand this. You know, it's like the fact that we can even talk over these devices. That's all like that's usually my biggest my yeah. biggest sales point too. I'm like, if you can pick up that phone and call someone in China and connect to them, yeah. like, yep. please explain to me right. the technology that allows that to happen. Right. It's all energy frequencies, you know, Even exactly. It's a definitive device that's sitting in front of me. The things that are making it happen is all right. energy signals. Right. To and I'm like, other. I don't understand this device. I don't understand how yeah. it works, but I trust that it works. Yeah. Yeah. And we mm-hmm. have our own like even more fascinating devices called the body. Yeah. So, you know, I trust in, in the power of our energy bodies to also, you know, do similarly fascinating things such as connect over distance and clear energy. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Well, let people (laughs) know how they can get in touch with you. Yeah. You can find me on Instagram. My tag is at Sarah Emily Spears Mm -hmm. and that's Spears S P E E R S. So not like Britney Spears, justsarahspears.com <laughs> and they nice. can um, find ways to connect with me on both of those places. Perfect. And you said the next group that you're doing is starting in April. We start in April. Yeah. Okay. So okay. I'll begin opening enrollment in March. So yeah, getting, this will be close. really good timing because I think it'll Yay. probably be on early March, something like that. So Perfect. yeah, yeah. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your experience. And, um, you know, I think, I mean, you have wonderful energy to do this work too. You know, I mean, going back to the energy aspect, just the, um, the sort of um, the way that you explained everything and your your demeanor is just perfect for this work. Thank you. So thank you for for helping women, you know, in this, in, in this journey that they go through. Yeah, so. absolutely. It's, it's yeah. an honor for me and I'm grateful to be in the space now where I can look back yeah. and say it's possible and it's possible, be able absolutely. to help, you know, that's like, uh, just such a, a gift. And I hope something that inspires anyone struggling to know, no matter how bad it is, right. you know, there's, there's ways out. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks again for being here with us today. And I will see you guys next week.